Hello, hello. Joey here. Welcome back to Droolish. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Droolish. I am your host, Joey Montano. Today, it's going to be another great episode. We are actually going to continue our uh, top influential books, whether it's for business, life, health, finance, and whatever I can interpret that makes total sense. If you're new to the podcast, Droolish is a sleep and relaxation podcast focusing on helping you fall asleep, relax, get your mind off of your day. Primarily, if you have a lot of mind chatter or mind racing, or if you just want to hear a voice that kind of just drifts you off into sleep, this podcast is likely for you. I talk about a variety of subjects, hopefully to provide value in some way, shape, or form, whether if it's uh, between uh, books, uh, stories, advice, knowledge, sports betting, uh, sleep help, just about anything and everything that interests me. I talk about this uh, weekly. Now, if you're wondering why I don't stick with a specific subject over and over again, that's kind of the beauty of the podcast. I don't want myself and I don't want you guys to feel like you're pigeonholed into listening to one certain type of subject. As someone who has uh, consistent, or I should say inconsistent sleeping patterns uh, and, you know, terrible insomnia, or at least I had that at one point, I, I wanted to create an experience that would help calm the mind, get your, you know, get your mind away from wandering about sleep, away from wandering, wandering about just about anything in general, and wanted to just help you focus on one thing. And it's a lot easier to focus on one thing when I, when there is it, when it's an immersive experience. So that's a little bit about the podcast. I do have to admit my voice is yawn inducing. Okay. That's, I wish I could say that's a self, self trait that I was, that I know about, but uh, it's just a thing that I noticed uh, when I speak to clients, when I speak to other people, when I speak for a long period of time, people tend to yawn and they tend to get really tired, uh, despite the subject at hand. And it doesn't matter how excited I am and how you know giddy I am around it. It just tends to be the case. So I urge you, if this is your first time listening, just to give this a listen. If this subject is not what piques your interest, I recommend looking through previous episodes to see if there's anything that might interest you. I do add rain and background noises to help create the immersive experience, so it's not just me talking for a long time. And with that being said, I know I am a bit long-winded. I think we're already three minutes of the podcast, but let's dive straight to it, shall we? So this episode is continuing from last week's episode where we where I talked about uh, my favorite books that have influenced me in some way, shape, or form. And we've only got through about seven books, and now I want to finish the other half, uh, numbers 8 through 15. And this one's going to be a bit a bit of a mix between personal development, uh, business, finance, and health. And I think a lot of these are very important, uh, not just for reading in general, but just to understand, uh, you know, like understand ourselves and how to improve ourselves at the end of the day. Uh, I personally just believe that, you know, once you learn everything that you need to learn for for whatever occasion, you know, you're, you're never done learning. And 
reading books and you know videos and whatnot too. Everyone has their own way of intaking information, but for me, I find books to be a great source to archive what other people have done and their studies and know-how. Because I'm not going to do it myself, or I'm not going to get it elsewhere. And if I wanted to do it myself, then it's going to take an exhaustive amount of time to learn things. It take a lot of energy and a lot of frustration. So. Books, I mean, for, for most of these books, you can get between 5 and 20 bucks, and the, uh, the amount of value that you get between them is insane. Uh, you might be lucky, and you probably will be able to find uh, free versions of the book, too. If you just type in on Google the book name and PDF, you might get a free version as well. Again, uh, I generally read out of necessity for me personally. I do enjoy reading a little bit, but uh, I want to consider myself a heavy reader. Uh, I've probably, I mean, I've probably read a few, several dozen books uh, in my life, but, uh, you know, I'm in my 30s, so uh, several dozen, it might just be like, it's probably about three to five books a year. It's not super intensive, it's a fun book every three months. I know some people like to talk about reading 50 books in a year, uh, and, and, it, and there's things about speed reading and, and all that fun jazz, and maybe I'll talk about that in, in a different subject, uh, episode, I should say. But... Let's, uh, let's just dive right into the books, shall we? So, the first book is called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And you know, according to the title, this is uh, Malcolm Gladwell is a best-selling author of The Tipping Point and Blink. And what really, really made Outliers a number eight book, and this probably would be a lot higher uh, if I had read this probably uh, later in life, is that Outliers uh, often challenges the notion that success, and even extreme success, is focused around uh, your smarts, your ambition, and just having know-how and talent, and, and kind of just, more or less, either being at the right place at the right time. Maybe less that, but it's just pure, purely based off of you know, true iron, grit, and willpower, and hyper-focus. And in Outliers, uh, Malcolm argues that the real su success or the story of success is completely different and we have to look at our surroundings and influences and things that have nurtured uh, a certain person or a certain type of attribute or trait that might have attributed to success. So it might not just be this person, you know, it might not be success it's just because some person knows how to play do one thing really well. It just might be the fact that they uh, they might have just happened to run into the right person, that new connection, but because of that, they might have unlocked uh, like a new level of skill or you know something along those lines. It's almost like a butterfly effect type of thing. Now, I know I'm, um, I feel like I'm bastardizing the, uh, the summary of this, so uh, I, I want to give you guys a couple of examples, which I personally have found to be very useful. Uh, I think you guys might have heard a couple of these rules as well, whether if you're browsing the internet or Reddit or, or maybe on Twitter or, or whatnot. And if this is not, and some of this is new to you, then awesome. Uh, then you know, t hopefully you take these tidbits as, as worthwhile. So uh, the first story that has been mentioned in in the book, or I should say, in the first chapter, uh, he specifically talks about how hockey players are farmed and the likelihood of having a amazing hockey player, like, uh, I should say, let me take a step, step back, he talks about, like, the system of, of how hockey players are groomed, and a number of, like, the top hockey players that are produced often come from, I think, the same areas, or they're from, like, a certain same age group, and 
what uh, what he argues is that the setup and how the farming system works is very indicative uh, on the success of future hockey players. And by that, I mean, if you were, and I'm going to double check this one, but, but if you were someone who wanted to play hockey and the deadline of you joining a league is, say, like September 1st, and it's based off of age, so if you were born before, like, before September 1st of that year, and you're, like, before age 5, uh, you'd have to wait, like, a full year uh, to join a hockey league versus someone who was born on, say, September 1st, the soonest date that you can, uh, you know, apply for a league, then you you effectively get that full year's worth of training uh, while being at a younger age compared to someone who might be born a day before you and they'd have to wait 359 days to actually join hockey. So so in theory, they have actually are always going to be about a year behind in progress uh, and skill versus someone that has been young, has been very young, who's been, uh, who, who's been catered uh, in a system that's been trying to maximize their skill and potential. And because of that, like it, it kind of leads to a butterfly effect of how the training programs and and learning programs and skill programs uh, that are that are being done as you get older are are kind of affected by that initial starting age. And uh, yeah, I think they have like one example too, where it's like uh, yeah, I'll, I'll read this one snippet. It's like, so what if you what if you're an athletic young chef with the misfortune of having born in the last part of the year? You can't play soccer. You can't play soccer. The deck is stuck against you. So maybe you can play another sport that Czechs are obsessed with, hockey. But wait, I think you know what's coming. Here's the roster for 2007 uh, Czech junior hockey team that finished fifth in the World Championships. And he goes through a list of all the number one, all the number players. And the number one player... His birthday was January 3. Number two, birthday is January 3. Number three, January 12. Then it's February 8. And I think it's done based on birth birth date specifically, but uh, essentially 27, actually I take that back, yeah. 20, 17 of the 22 are born between January and July. And then there's only two that were born in November and December out of the whole team. So uh, it's one of those neat things where the example of being uh, being someone who's young and taking advantage of timing in this case uh, was, a, was a, I can't say a direct measure of success, but it has a high correlation to it. And, uh, and some of you who are more uh, number nerds might think, you know, uh, like, what is it? Causation, sorry, correlation does not equal causation. Um, this brings a strong case to uh, us thinking like, hey, maybe that could be the case, or or the way I like to think about it, you know, at the end of the day, it's not exactly a black and white thing. It could just be, hey, uh, there really is a big correlation to this, and it is causing a significant amount of, uh, of let's say, like misfires when it comes to like getting talent and actually, it, and sorry, creating a challenge when it comes to creating success, especially if you're born like, at a later date. So he gives like one example of just saying sports success programs are directly catered to the, the age of when you're able to qualify. Uh, the other one that he mentions a lot, uh, which I think a lot of you have heard, is the 10,000 hour rule. 
and that just means it takes 10,000 hours to master just about anything. And uh, and he points to different examples of like how Bill Gates and and people who just dedicated their lives to do a couple things and just became a master at the craft uh, ultimately just find themselves to be really amazing at something and compare that to someone who hasn't spent like 100 hours is not. But uh, essentially, if you feel like you want to be an expert at something at the very long term, you just have to dedicate 10,000 hours. I find that to be very true. Uh, if I want to speak personally for myself, there's only a few things that I really dedicate uh, and a tremendous amount of time, and it's no coincidence that I'm actually pretty good at some of these things. So uh, I'm pretty sure you, you guys can think of a few things, and you know, if you're trying to sleep right now, uh, go ahead I and mean, try to think of those few things uh, that you have spent a lot of time on, that you spent not just time on, but you, you spent practical time uh, learning and improving yourself on. And, you know, you know, watching TV, for example, you're not actively, sometimes, you know, some people don't actively watch TV, you know, you, some people don't actively browse their phones, um, but for, for skills or hobbies that you truly enjoy doing and you spend a lot of time doing, uh, it's, you know, if you start taking, you know, the amount of hours, chances are if you start reaching in the, into the couple of thousand hours and you reach, or reach around the 10,000 hour mark, uh, you kind of might, you probably should start seeing yourself as more of an expert or a master in certain certain crafts. So that's what I really like about the Outliers book is that it, it just helps define the surroundings in which, in which success is measured. And it's not just attributing it to just the person itself. There are outlying factors that might have more significant roles. And I found this to be an interesting book. Uh, I think one more example, too, that they mention is uh, obviously you don't need to be a genius to be successful. Uh, and uh, I think they measured a bunch of people with like high intelligence IQs. Uh, maybe they did, I think they measured them with like lawyers and went to Harvard and they measured how they um, were successful, or not, not how successful, but they measured the amount of success that they believed they had after graduating. And they found that. Uh, you didn't, like, they found that the highest people with IQ didn't really fare too much differently than people who, um, as they would quote it, uh, you know, who were quote-unquote smart enough. So after a certain point of being smart, or having a certain IQ level, uh, you're just going to achieve almost the same amount of success as someone who has a super high IQ, uh, because it just goes to prove that, hey, like, just because you have uh, a smart IQ, you might have that innate talent of knowledge, doesn't mean you actually know what the hell you're doing. Okay, so... Uh, so, you know, the, these are the kind of things that help uh, bring, I'd say, context of what success is and understanding outlying factors. And me personally, I, I just like this book because, uh, it, you know, it gets, it gets you to think differently. And I really encourage a lot of you guys, especially if you're having trouble sleeping, is to, um, you know, think differently in, in certain aspects of your life. And it doesn't have to be with every single thing, but uh, you know, the, one of the things that I tend to notice for myself is that if I'm not happy or if I notice that things aren't really going right, you know, it, it usually has something to do with my thoughts or my thought process or me being inside my own head. And sometimes I think, you know, fuck it, just I'll just do the opposite of what I'm doing because what I'm doing now isn't going to work. So, <laughs> so if you're still struggling to sleep and, and this is your first time listening again. Uh, that's 
pretty cool. I would encourage you to keep listening if you haven't fallen asleep yet. But if you're uh, if you are a repeated listener uh, and you're still trying to figure out or you still have some of that mind racing, uh, hopefully these book recommendations can help uh, guide you towards a different framework of like thinking and having a different mindset uh, in how you approach kind of like your the mind racing inner thoughts. Uh, so. That's the first book, and uh, this, or the number nine book, I should say, the first book in this episode. Uh, but book number nine, continuing from last episode, is called Power Questions. It's from a couple people called uh, Andrew Sobel and Gerald uh, Penas. I completely butchered their names, but essentially, the whole book title is 337 essential questions to help you succeed at work and in life. Uh, build relationships with new businesses and influence others. So, uh, this book in itself is, I, I, I consider this to be a very valuable book. Uh, it's not one that I would say it's like one of the most inspirational or influential books, but the overall idea behind the book or, yeah, it is that at the end of the day, you know, communication, uh, at least how I like to perceive it as, as things in the world of business and in life, is that communication is key and it's and it's vital uh, for everything to work out. I mean, there's, it's very, very, very rare for people to know and assume 100% of your life, your experiences, your thoughts, uh, your interpretations, and how you view things or listen to things. As a matter of fact, it's almost like 0% and not 100%. And the only way to unlock those thoughts and unshackle like those foggy thoughts, <laughs> judgments I should say, uh, is to ask and to communicate. And unlocking the power to get to what you're trying to do um, through communication, and in this, in this book, as this form of asking good questions, is is at least to me paramount to uh, clear communication. Because uh, you know, with the right questions, you're able to get to the point of what you're of what you're trying to go after. You're able to articulate what what you're trying to achieve to the person you're communicating with, uh, especially uh, since the context here is both within working in life is that there is a key component to uh, to asking a lot of these questions and if you're someone who's incredibly good at asking questions and not just questions but the right the right questions uh, and the most insightful questions is that by doing so you have to force yourself to listen and one of the biggest game changers or game breakers that you can do in life business or anything uh, is that listening gives you so much information. And listening can be in, this, in the form of what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of body language, which we discussed in the previous uh, episode. Uh, it can be in the nonverbal cues. It, it, it could be in so many different ways, shapes, or forms. And by unlocking the ability for people to give you the opportunity to listen, uh, with great questions, uh, you're able to get, cut, you know, cut cut to the chase, I should say, and, and trim the fat of this nonsense, like 
meetings, nonsense time, you know, you know, nonsense interactions. Now, the book really takes on about 30 or 40 questions between that, and the rest of the questions are kind of there. Uh, but the first 30 or 40 questions, they really take it on on those chapters and the stories and the context behind them. To give you a couple examples, of the, or to give you an idea of some of the questions that they asked, or that are really powerful, uh, one is it's pretty straightforward. I don't think a lot of people ask this a lot about anything. Um, you know, is what would you like to know about us? The other one is also very powerful. Again, it, see, it seems simple, but it but it makes sense. What do you think? A couple, I'll, I'll throw a couple more. Um, how would this further your mission and goals? Do you mind if we start over? Why do you do what you do? That's, that, one, that one is huge. There are a lot of what's and why's to these questions, and I always find the what and why, and, and especially how, to be the, the most powerful questions to ask, just in my experience. Uh, and context behind the questions, or you know, the, the, the actual query, the query behind like the what and why's, is gonna be really dependent on what your needs are and what you're trying to accomplish. So, one of the things uh, you know that this book does is it just unlocks it, it unlocks communication, and when you're trying to build relationships and you're trying to uh, not just win relationships or not win relationships but build relationships, build rapport, meet new friends, uh, all this is going to have to come from an understanding that you as a human are going to be someone who wants who wants to listen who wants to engage and more often than not too you know a lot of these people and yourself included are you know we're already conditioned to to answer questions to tell more about ourselves and you know not everyone is always going to be 100% comfortable in doing so but i'd say you know a vast majority of people would like to open up and are more than happy to answer questions if you've asked them and if you actually come from a place where you are genuinely listening and you genuinely want to help. Now this third book, technically uh, number 10, I use this book all the time. I, I haven't read it in a while, but I use the sentiments of the book uh, verbatim uh, in almost any context of what I do. and. I highly recommend anyone just reading reading the book here because it's not only incredibly relevant to now, uh, it builds off of the initial book uh, before I get to that. So the book is called Great by Choice. Now, I forgot the author's name. I don't have the book in front of me. However, uh, the guy has two books, or these are the two books that I have read up to this point. He might have a third, but Great by Choice is the main one that I, I love. Um, Great by Choice is a follow-up from, his, uh, from I think it's Eric Ray's, I think that's the person, uh, from the initial book, uh, Good to Great. And to give you a synopsis of Good to Great to help you understand Great by Choice, it's Good to Great talks about how companies build themselves for long-term sustainability, how they've grown to be successful, and you know the author has traveled to many businesses and talked to, I believe, many... Uh, many CEOs, many executives, and he's done his own research on the, on the success of the companies over time. Uh, you know, and that's great. But great by choice 
is indicative of a building from that initial book and saying, hey, you know, while these companies did really great and they built themselves up, uh, the economy, the, what they, what, when they joined the market, there are so many different factors that allowed them to take advantage of what worked then. But when turmoil happens, when there is chaos in the world, when there is just a great uncertainty and when the market, and when the market conditions aren't as great, there, there's going to be companies that will excel in these, in these times uh, when everything changes. And these are going to be the companies that have proven and shown themselves to, you know, over time, once like the dust settles, to be great at the end of the day and what they do. And they're always thinking about certain elements and aspects that put them in position to continue to be great and not just to be a company that can build themselves up and not sustain. And I find I found great great by choice to be a gold standard in how to operate um, not just businesses because I, I'm not a I'm not a super savvy businessman I'm, you know um, but it's the idea of taking that mindset and applying that to work or in life and one of my favorite examples and I and I probably preach this all the time it, you know uh, it's uh, maybe not on podcast but if you talk to me outside of the podcast I always preach this uh, is that. Is that you never know how good you are at what you do until uh, shit hits the fan. And I've always want to put myself. I always try to put myself in position to think, okay, if everyone else is copying or if everyone else is doing one thing, uh, and they're all, I'll use marketing for example, and everyone, and everyone is successful doing marketing, and it seems like anyone can get into it, and it's so easy. That's usually indicative of saying things are so good that anyone can get into it. But say, for example, if a pandemic or a riot or just huge market turmoil were to happen we you know people who aren't sure of what to do uh you know those are going to be the ones that were kind of the good to great companies or people that kind of knew what to do when everything made sense but the great by choice people are the ones that that always think okay well like what are the things that i can do now what are the things that are required for me to be super successful uh, versus uh, someone that says, hey, what can I do to just sustain? And what can I do just to keep, just to keep, you know, beating the status quo? And those are like two different mindsets to have. And my favorite example of Great By Choice is, uh, is a company, or it tells the story of uh, two companies. And I believe, and I'm, like I said, I'm gonna try to pull this off just the top of my head here. Uh, I don't want to dive into the book and like spend five minutes like looking through it, but is I think back in the 70s or in the 50s there was a airline company called uh, Pacific Southwest Pacific Southwest of America or maybe it was Pacific Southwest like airlines and uh, they were my, they were they were successful like early on they were expanding they had their own locations um, you know so on and so forth but. What, uh, what I think one of the executives did uh, when he left like Pacific Southwest Airlines is that he decided he wanted to have his own airline company, and him and a bunch of you know board members and people figured, well, you know, we love what Pacific Southwest is doing. Why don't we just literally just copy what they're doing so well, and then just focus on you know and emphasizing what we really love to do, um, and 
cut all the things that we hated about Pacific Southwest. And I think a lot of the Pacific Southwest, uh, like, I think they even said it themselves, uh, I think it's even quoted in the book, where, where they said, uh, yeah, like we literally just had their manual and handbooks and we just copied it and said, this is now Southwest Airlines' manual. Like they, they changed nothing in it. <laughs> but what they did, uh, and this one I could be wrong, so if I'm wrong, just let me know. Um, but I'm pretty sure this is what they did, uh, is that they really focused on like top quality customer service on top of like everything that was mentioned in the manual from, from Pacific Southwest. They focused on, I think, cutting like lowering costs and having more like efficient air routes uh, compared to I think Pacific Southwest is like go everywhere and do all these things. Like Southwest is just more particular, was smarter about it. They were more meticulous and they really listened to the customers. So at the end of the day, what happened is in the Pacific Southwest, they ended up like having very little cash reserves. They got caught up when I think like the, 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 the economy like went on a downturn, whereas Southwest uh, was able to pick up where Pacific Southwest left off. They essentially just became like the new like, like awesome airline. Uh, so yeah, great by choice. I cannot recommend that one more, like enough. Uh, I, I, that was actually recommended to me by, uh, he was a client of mine. Uh, back in the day, he was a really smart dude, and really, at the end of the day, a lot of these books are just off. They're just recommended from either smart dudes or people who I just think are really smart, and and then I go from there. So, uh, yeah, great by choice, uh, number ten, number ten book of fifteen. Uh, it's kind of it's, it's kind of hard to actually start ranking these when I think about it, because all these have uh, really significant relevance. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Now for number 11, uh, this book I am almost finishing reading, it's almost done, and it's already made it to this top 15 book, and uh, like one of the top 15 awesome influential books I've read. And it's from a guy named uh, Nathan, Nathan Latka, uh, some of you might have heard of him, it's a fairly relevant uh, name, and this book is fairly new. It's called How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. Now this book is super awesome. I mean, there are a lot of books that are kind of that kind of have a similar sentiment uh, to it. Uh, but uh, Nathan, 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 I should say, uh, Nathan likes to think outside of the box. He is a self-made, like seven, six or seven-figure millionaire. A lot of the teachings in the book of how to be a capitalist without any capital is. Uh, is pretty, I would say, outside of the box, and a lot of uh, it's more contrarian to what a lot of the books I've mentioned beforehand uh, discuss. And a lot of the books I've mentioned beforehand, with the exception of the Four Hour Work Week, is that you know focusing on all of your efforts on one thing, hyper focusing and doing like one specific thing, becoming awesome at it, uh, and building businesses traditionally, you need capital, you need funds, you need investors, uh, you know, all that is simply not true, according to him. And as someone, for me, you know, you know, my mind's all over the place. And even focusing on one thing long term, uh, I mentioned this before, there's only, like, there's only been like three things that I've been able to like hyper-focus one thing on uh, for extended periods of time. And by hyper-focus, I mean like, you know, dedicate my life, like for, an extended period of time. 
and that's poker, uh, you know, marketing. And actually, it's primarily those two, poker and marketing, and uh, in education when I was younger. So he itself, uh, you know, and uh, I should take a step back, you know, in regards to that. You know, that's very few things, you know, to hyper-focus and dedicate a lot of time on. And he goes and says, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to dedicate your whole life to try to build one thing. It makes zero sense. As a matter of fact, you can do a lot of things with what you have currently, and it's not going to cost you a dime, or if anything, it's going to cost you very little money. And he explicitly says, you know, there's an old rich and a new rich. And the older rich was like the stuff that I was talking about, and the new rich is more focused on uh, traveling, having more experiences, and having your hand into multiple things at once, but developing systems around how you want to live your life. So it almost takes a backwards approach, uh, and and there's nothing wrong with a backwards approach. As a matter of fact. Uh, backwards approaches are simply just the opposite or more counterintuitive approaches because, at least in my two, at least in my two cents, um, thoughts I should say, <laughs> I can't even speak English right now. It's still pretty early, but but his logic is counterintuitive to what most people have kind of adapted with, and he shifts the paradigm, uh, and he gives a number of examples of how he was able to. Uh, you know, strike deals uh, with companies. Like, there's one example where he talks about how he got, like, I think, like a $3,000 Airbnb uh, rental for like $300 a night for three nights, uh, simply by simply by messaging the guy who was in charge of the rental and saying he invited a lot of CEOs for a mastermind, and he just negotiated a deal to where he said, hey, like, not only we're gonna have a lot of CEOs in this. Uh, you're, you can also be a part of the mastermind for free if you just give us this discount. And he shows the emails of like what he what he does to haggle. Uh, and then as he was doing that, he had, he reached out to a, like a lot of CEOs. He just asked, he's like, hey, I'm running a mastermind. I'm inviting these people. Do you want to join? There was nothing more to it. Uh, he, you know, he that's he shows all the emails of what he did. Uh, I think there was one example where he bought. A website property because Instagram had like a hundred thousand their Instagram account had like a hundred thousand followers and he immediately uh, had the account and he started paying uh, for sponsored ads I think he paid three thousand dollars for the whole for everything and he said within a week he got his money back by doing sponsored ads and he used the same account to he parlayed that into giving himself a free I think free three night stay at a top star hotel because he can, because he was able to leverage his Instagram, his new Instagram influence with like the the property he just bought, and he knew his demographics, and he was able to parlay that into getting a three night stay at a hotel. So, uh, you know, those are the types of things that, at least when it comes to me, like I, I love that style of hustle. I love that style of like entrepreneurship and thinking, and it's stuff that builds over time. And. Uh, you know, one of the things that he talks about too, and it's something that I talk about frequently a lot because you know it's not like I have a whole series about this. Uh, I do. Uh, he talks about uh, buying companies or buying apps, and then and then evolving it to what he wants to do out of it. 
So, you know, I always talk about startup ideas, apps, and things that I want going, but you know, I already know my, my weaknesses, and it's like it's not the getting started part. It's just figuring out the processes and the systems at first. Um, this seems very daunting, and it's something that I need to do. But he, but uh, Nathan argues that you know it's not worth. It's like it's like that's that's just a waste of time. Uh, if you have the money and if you know how to communicate with people, you can understand and find businesses and apps or plugins that. That you know, maybe the owners just don't want to deal with, and they built it because they but they thought it was good. But they'll, but, they'll be, but they'll be more than happy to hand it off to you and give you all the knowledge itself versus you building it. So, uh, you know, you save yourself months, you save yourself a lot of time and effort, and you speed up the, the know-how on how things work um, for very little cost. And uh, you know, I kind of got my wheels spinning when I heard that. I'm like, huh, you know, this guy, this Nathan guy, he's certainly a uh, He's certainly adopting the hustler's mindset. And the book came out in 2019, so a lot of the ideas that what he talks about, I don't think they are dated. They're not dated at all. They're very fresh. Uh, not only very fresh, but I think you can take a lot of the lessons, especially when it comes to leveraging and parlaying what you have and turning it into money. Uh, and I think that book's pretty cool in the sense of he'll give you, he gives you ideas and just, uh, you know, not just asking friends for money or all that jazz. It's like he'll give you active ways to think about making money with what you have currently without asking people. Uh, and you can use that money to later build other companies and other businesses. And the biggest tip that he mentions to me, and, I, and I'm taking this to heart, uh, especially when it comes to the podcast and just everything in general, is uh, he, he practices the 80-20 rule, um, but he does 80% of his efforts on one major thing, and then he splits out the 20% with two other things. And that's how he dedicates most of his time. And he'll end up building a company or building a system um, to where 80% of his time is just, it's just him like figuring out how to maximize money or you know save time building a system to where it becomes automated. And once that's done, then one of his other projects where he spends 20% of his time on then becomes a focus on being the 80% of his time. And then he'll add a new thing to fill in for the 20%. So eventually he'll just get to the point where everything is almost as turnkey to where he's effectively just being a decision maker on systems that he's built. And, uh, you know, I, there's some qualms that I have with the book, don't get me wrong, um, but I love how his, how his mindset works. And I, it just seems like, for me, reading that book, it just seems like it's almost like me at, at a younger age, um, if I were to adapt with the times um, and actually, you know, just run with it and not just kind of wait things so he I, don't know, that, I found that book to be very useful I have it still with me and he goes through negotiations what to say how to say it the setups the speak he's got screenshots uh, he, he clearly doesn't care uh, about any, about sharing everything so uh, again that's a that book is a great find uh, certainly an underrated book I have not heard many people talk about the book uh, but I, I thought it was stellar now this next book uh, is an oldie but a goodie, and it's called The E-Myth. Now The E-Myth is pretty much almost the opposite of the, the how to be a capitalist without any capital, but the essence of The E-Myth essentially talks about how to build a business that sustains yourself, that sustains how you grow as a business. 
it, like so if you're a small business owner if you are a medium-sized business owner or if you're an entrepreneur uh, this book goes through all of like the follies and pitfalls of of owning a business and, and what he sees a lot of company owners are doing um, to themselves that that they don't have to do uh, what they think about owning a business and he goes through a story of someone I think uh, owning a pie shop and one example that he does is that he talks to the owner about you know what she wants to do for a living and she says you know I just love making pies and all I want to do is make pies and the, the author who's like a consultant he says well okay that's awesome uh, if you want to make pies for a living then why do you have a business she goes well because I want to make pies for people and I don't want to work for anyone else you know I just want to make pies and he says okay so then why do you own a business uh, you know if you're owning a business your, your job is to own the business and not to make pies if you want to make pies you have to work for, you have to work for someone else and make pies uh, and he makes it very clear that owning a business all in itself is very it, 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 it requires a different skill set needed than just to produce a good product uh, and if you're a world-class pie baker or a world-class chef you know you can't expand you can't you can't put yourself in a position to where you're only gonna make awesome food all the time um, when you're gonna spend two hours a day trying to open up shop two hours a day closing shop two hour you know like three or four hours going through finances a week and then understanding how to run the business and paying employees and setting up partnerships and then try to get the marketing out and then still you're doing all this all these things um, while just trying to quote unquote make, make pies so he goes through exhaustively over the details about how businesses should be operated now uh, I really like the book because he leans towards writing systems uh, very similar to the last book but uh, this, but this this book is on a bigger scale to where uh, he helps separate you know the person from the business and he does tell and show that hey if you are a business that uh, that wants to grow that wants to expand it's going to be directly reflective off of you the person who's building the systems the one who is building the ideas and understandings and the values of the missions of the company so uh, the business is directly reflected off of you so if you are someone that that is lazy that comes in the world that kind of half-asses a lot of things and you notice that your business itself even though you might be an owner kind of kind of resembles the same traits you know it's almost like you're enabling and you're allowing that stuff to happen because it is a reflection off of you uh, and he goes through many examples of that and I just, I just, I just found that book to be incredibly insightful. I mean, I've read that book, uh, if I had to guess, seven or eight years ago. Uh, so, if you own a small business and you really want like none of the fluff, uh, you want to get straight to the point, and you don't want to hire like a, you know, super expensive consultant. Uh, this book uh, is a true gem, and. Uh, it, it's very, very important to read this book because it, it does help separate, you know, the personal from the business, and it completely unlocks a lot of mistakes that could have, 
or it prevents a lot of mistakes that could have happened if you um, read that book prior to opening a business, which, uh, again, to each, to each their own. Um, but the EMIF does go heavy on quote-unquote franchising. Uh, that's the whole idea behind documenting all the ideas behind building a business, setting up systems, uh, because it just makes your life easier once it's set up and done. Uh, I mean, this book could be translated into almost anything. You have a marketing agency, you have a consultant agency, if you own a restaurant, if you own a clothing store, if you love fashion and you have a, you know, if you're a fashion designer, I mean, it, it, it's very effective on everything. So, yeah, definitely uh, give, that, give that a read. Number 14, or I guess this, what, seventh book, or sixth or seventh book we're talking about right now, uh, is a finance book. And I'd say the impact of this book really aligned me to get my, like, finances and shit together uh, and help, help build a baseline. And it's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich by uh, Ramit Sethi. I think that's how his name. And... This book, you are likely, you probably will be able to get it for free if you look and Google around it. Uh, I got the book for free. It was from like an ad he had on Facebook, and I thought it was pretty interesting. So um, you can still get it cheaply on Amazon. It, it's a pretty cheap book. But the synopsis—he gives a synopsis here. It's better for me to read this than try to come up with it myself. At this point, um, you don't have to be perfect to be rich, or the smartest person in the room, or a type A personality. In fact. Uh, his six-week program to financial independence, uh, you, you know, you're able to start with any amount of money. Just do 80% of what he suggests and succeed brilliantly through good times and bad. I, you know, I believe that. Uh, you know, he goes through the story of him growing up and him, like, unlocking the ability to make a lot of money, unlocking the ability to save money, unlocking the ability for people, regardless of your financial situation, to just tie up all like the terrible habits and just eliminate them. And a lot of the stuff, if you're more financially savvy, uh, a lot of the stuff will probably seem basic. Uh, for me, back then, I when I bought the book, it was only like five or six years ago, um, You know, I, the only thing I measured was that, hey, I have more money coming in than coming out and I'm paying down my student loans. That was all that mattered for finances for me. And that, you know, we're, 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 we're still saving money. That was as far as I took it. But uh, one of the things he did, and he walks through the process as well, is that like he talks about, hey, like you wanna spend more time just getting these things done first. And one of the things he mentions, mentions is like, hey, you want to make sure like all of your bills are done on the same dates, or two dates a month, and that means you can, that means you only get to spend like one hour a month worrying about finances versus countless of hours trying to figure out billing, paying, uh, paying which statement at what time, and looking at your checking and funding and all that. Like, a, you know, um, he just completely just cuts out all the bull, cuts out all the fluff. And he off he offers insights about his own life and how he grew up to poor and how he really just doesn't want, like wasting money or or wasting anything. And it's a good mindset to have. He does have this book. He has programs. Uh, outside of that, I know a lot of people talk about Dave Ramsey's uh, book, Credit Cards of Debt. Um, but I really like this one. Um, I would teach you to be rich. Uh, it's very practical. And again, unless you're super financially savvy, I think this book 
is for everyone. And I'm not, that's not a joke. It's a quick read and again, he walks you through a lot of the processes. And it's also one of the reasons where like if you follow it, and just it, you follow it, you really don't have to reread it. You don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to live and die by the book. Like once you read it and you practice it, it's, it's almost done. Like you, those habits will be built and you can refer to the book if you have more money or, or you know, it, it follows the steps of how much money you have and what you need to do. So it's very practical. Uh, I can't stress this enough. Now, this last book, I, I kind of placed it in this, uh, I kind of placed it last for a reason. Uh, it's not because it's really the ranked 15th book. It probably kind of floats around like the top five, personally, for me. And this is a health book. And I want to say it's a health book, it's more of a fitness book. And it's called uh, Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle. And it's from an author and a bodybuilder expert called uh, Tom Venuto. And this was probably the book that changed my life uh, over, I feel like, almost a lifetime ago, uh, when I was, I think, 22 or 21, when I was living in a different town and I didn't have many friends and I recently broke up uh, with, uh, you know, one of my, one of my first girlfriends uh, over, like, three years. And it was a book that focused uh, heavily on your mindset and mental and the mental training and the mindset and for me when you know when I had to take a step back and I decided hey like you know I am living in a different city I'm kind of in a college town I haven't made many friends in like the first four years and I'm in my senior year of college and I haven't really gone out and done much I haven't really lived life uh, you know what? It, you know what do I even do? Like, why am I even here? Am I just gonna take classes and just not do anything? And and I figured, no, you know, maybe I'm just gonna try to get back in shape, and I'll start from there. And and this was a book that was recommended from like a poker forum. So I got the book, and it's actually free right now too. I'm pretty sure if you type in PDF, he offers it for free. Um, is that he spends the first one or two chapters just walking through his mindset and how and what it takes what it takes for you uh, or me in this case to actually succeed in a weight loss program and he talks about how you need to track everything and a lot of this stuff especially older seems like it's common knowledge but as a 22 year old kid from college, from college who never really spent too much time focusing on discipline except when it just comes to just passing grades uh, this book was pretty much mind-blowing. Uh, he talks in great detail about uh, documenting your goals, uh, writing notepads, and almost af and adding affirmations uh, on literally on the wall. You would say like, "Hey, like you can post post the notes on the wall, write notes." And when you wake up, that's going to be the first thing you see every morning. You're going to see, "Hey, like you're skinny. You know, you're in shape. You love to work out. You're going to see these thoughts over and over again." And you're going to spend the time to document, here's how much weight you've done, here's going to be the process that you do over and over again. And he hammers, he hammers every single point down. And that, that right then and there, and the commitment, at least for me, to actually listen to the book. And you know, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. When, if you were to read a book, 
and the author says, hey, you need to stop this right now and don't read further. I think a number of us just keep reading on and then think, oh, you don't need to do that for now. And we kind of circle, then we don't circle back. He, uh, I don't know, something about that book, he just, it made a lot of sense to follow through with what he said. And I found the biggest impact uh, of that uh, to be the, the mental training behind it. And the actual exercises and the workouts he's done, uh, he offers a great amount of insight and knowledge about what works, what doesn't. He offers a lot of the science, at least back then, the sci uh, with, like, science to that date, um, about what works and like what's more effective if you like run before you eat and run after you eat. A, you know, a lot of these little things. And it was just something that was just so exhaustive that it made complete sense to follow through. And the book, I, I would say the book just did a great job of just realigning, like me, as a person. Uh, it set me up to create a framework of kind of like what, who I wanted to be uh, moving forward. And it helped set the mindset of like, hey, of me saying, hey, you know, if this is a process that works, writing goals, you know, setting images, and and actively targeting and practicing, you know, this journey. I wouldn't say journey, but like it almost seems like it was a quest to uh, to match, you know, the the goals that you set in mind that were very tangible. And this is just for weight loss. You know, it it, it can tr be translated into reading books. It can be translated into making friends. It can be translated into meeting other people and translating to learning other skills that can you know, fill the gaps that I've had. So, uh, you know, that book itself was just uh, was amazing. And he does talk about diets too, the different types of diets that you could eat. He briefly, he briefly mentioned low-carb dieting, which is the keto diet, or back then he referred to it as Atkins, because I think the book was written in the early 2000s. And uh, now, you know, I think you guys know, like, keto, the keto diet, the ketogenic diets. Uh, you know, he offers a lot of his insights in that uh, before it was a thing. Uh, you don't have to agree with everything he says or disagree, or disagree with everything he says either, but the framework that he did um, did actually help me lose, like, 30, some, 30 or 40 pounds and gain, like, a decent amount of muscle in the next year. Um, you know, it, I don't know, it'd say, I'd say it completely turned my life around uh, at that point and kind of started the trajectory of kind of where I am today, uh, simply by reading that. So, uh, you know, maybe if you're listening and you're still awake, uh, well, I don't recommend you downloading the book right now, because if you are trying to sleep, that's, please don't. But, yes, just keep in mind, burn the fat and feed the muscle, Tom Venuto. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you type that in Google, and type in PDF, you'll, you will literally get the P free full version PDF. He openly allows free book. I think they interviewed him and saying like why he wants that book to be free. Uh, I, think, I think it was a bestseller as well. Uh, not that I need to keep like building up a book. I mean, hopefully, hopefully it, it's awesome on its own. But uh, yeah, even typing in Google right now, for good reads, it's got like 4.3 reviews, uh, sorry, 4.3 rating for like 2,000 reviews. It's got a site called BurnTheFatBeTheMuscle.com. I mean, it's all, it's all there. I mean, even the, I think the very first, 
Let's see. Yeah. It's the most powerful program in the world of burning fat while keeping the muscle. Um, building health, building energy, and building confidence. To do that, to do that, you have to approach this from more than one angle. Again, this book is focuses on the complete like, framework of you as a person. Uh, and there are similar programs, not similar programs, but there are other types of programs that focus on multiple angles as well. I think the Whole30 was one as top of it. Um, the Whole30, uh, I mentioned in talk about in greater detail from a from another episode is that you know you're coming from removing all terrible eating habits so that includes like binge eating different you know and replacing your terrible habits with better meals better food quality and starting fresh when you're able to start fresh you're almost hitting a huge reset button over a long period of time uh and then adjusting from there um, whereas for the fact get the muscle um focuses on building the right mindset to get you going uh for a long-term success, and yeah, so uh, you know, both, I guess, you know, both programs have their own uh, value, but uh, but again, burn the fat, get the muscle, I absolutely love that book, I cannot stress that enough, so there you have it, guys, to give you the list uh, in order, well, not in order, but from what I wrote down, uh, number one was how to win friends and influence people, number two was the four-hour work week, number three was Purple Cow, Four is the definitive book of body language. Five is knock em dead resumes. Six is the leader who had no title. Seven is, and this one I still don't 100% know yet, uh, sit down, shut up, and live your life. Eight, outliers. Nine, power questions. Ten, great by choice. Eleven, how to be a capitalist without any capital. Twelve, influence the psychology of persuasion. 13th, the E-Myth. 14, I would teach you to be rich. And 15, burn the fat, feed the muscle. And now, as I read that out loud, I realized I did not talk about influence, the power of persuasion. I skipped that one by accident. So, to give you a synopsis of that one. Oh man, these, yeah, this is pretty funny. But, um, influence, the psychology of persuasion. I had the book in my hand, I just looked at it and didn't actually talk about it. Uh, this is a book primarily for like business and marketing. It's just understanding the psychology of what makes people, uh, you know, buy or yeah, buy from you. And a lot of this stuff is like more like talks about social proof. Talk talks about just being nice to people, giving giving more. <laughs> it's essentially it's essentially just understanding why humans are nice and. You can either take advantage of it for bad, or you can take advantage of it for good. But it also it also gives you an understanding of like the impact of what you do can dramatically make people love your brand, love you, love what you do. Um, and it all starts with kind of you as a person. But if you actually have the tools and understanding of how it works and why it works, then you can use it towards your advantage. Um, so, for example, like one idea is like is uh, is uh, reciprocating. You know, if you go out of your way to be like, hey, I appreciate what you're doing today. You know, here's a six-pack of beer uh, to almost a neighbor. You know, that neighbor's got to remember that. And they're probably just going to keep you in tabs of, like, of saying, like, hey, this person's pretty awesome. Uh, maybe I want to know more about this guy or what he does one day, and I'm more likely to buy from him or more likely to listen to him because he gave me something. You know, basic stuff. Not really basic stuff, but, like, stuff like that. To most people, it's probably basic, but for a lot of marketers, 
I know a lot of marketers tend to be a little bit less human than regular people. Um, uh, not all. It's just the general trend of like picking up on the on like regular cues, social cues. Uh, you know, I, I figure this book is it's good. It's good to bridge the gaps. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I did not mean to uh, skip that book, but yeah, I I mentioned it now. So everything's good. Now, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm done. I say this after every episode. I want you guys to know that uh, this is the party word section where I talk more about podcasts and things that are going on. It's more of a stream of conscious, consciousness type of, of speak, I should say. Uh, generally, I spend a lot of time focusing on like getting the books and trying to offer synopsis and I'm doing all this in real time. And I know personally if I spent probably at least 20 or 30 more minutes actually writing the notes down, um, having all the books in order, I could speak with probably more like more conviction and I know that it's making it sound like I know more of what I'm talking about. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I do know what I'm talking about. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's still, it's still uh, a bit nutty to, to, you know, go on a mic and speak for like an hour straight without... You know, I have a framework in mind of what I want to talk about. I even wrote down a list. I even wrote the type, and I even keep writing notes on uh, the timings and when I talk about these things for you, you know, for you guys to have timestamps to to look at to make your lives easier, especially if you don't want to listen to like the whole podcast. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, this episode, I, you know, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna I'm looking back at my data, and I felt this, and I knew this. And I don't know why I do this. You know, have you guys, especially poker players, like if, if you're a poker player that happens to listen and you're still awake, um, you know, you guys have an idea of like what a good decision is and what a bad decision is. And if you kind of know ahead of time, like if you read a situation and you feel and you believe in, in the back of your head, you, you say like, I know this is not good. Uh, that's kind of what I had here, and that was that Slack Notes episode. Uh, you know, I didn't feel like that was 100% there. It was like 30 minutes of just babbling, and I hated that. And I don't mind babbling. I'm a babbler. Okay, I'm a I'm a habitual monologuer. Okay, that's just who I am. I'm not going to change that. I love monologuing. It's just a, it's just an observation. But even I knew if if it didn't reach my standard, how should it reach your guys' standard if I wanted to listen? Uh, that should have been an episode I delete. I don't want I don't want to delete any episodes that have been released because they would be reminders of, of of I'd rather be reminded of the failures that I had than to completely ignore it and default victim to it again. That's the reason why that's the reason why I like to keep that up. However, if I didn't release that and re-recorded it, that um, would have no problem with that. So. Yeah, that was, that was that, yeah. Regardless of the downloads, I look at the downloads and be like, okay, this isn't interesting. And usually, continued downloads over day over day is very indicative, and I haven't gotten that either. So that was just a trash episode, guys. I'm sorry. The quality, the, the quality needed to be better. Um, it, it seemed like a pretty. It was one of those things where um, you can quote unquote say it was a good idea at the time, um, but the execution wasn't there. It's, I think I feel I think I had like nostalgia glasses when I thought about how looking at previous notes on a computer screen that are completely fragmented and 
there was no intent behind a lot of these notes, a lot of those notes um, made it terrible. And on the flip side, the note card notes, I really love them because I've actually documented back then all the thoughts that I had, the context behind the thoughts, and it was, it's a lot easier for me to pick it up because a lot of what I'm talking about is very relevant to what I want to do today. And there's a lot more relevance to you guys because I talk about things that are, at least I believe I talk about things that could offer true value. Slack notes was just, I felt like, in hindsight, that just seemed like it was more greedy for me. And I, I, I'm trying not to be as greedy when it comes to this stuff, guys. Um, yeah, so, you, you know, you guys, as listeners, if you're trying to sleep, just deserve better. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know, it feels weird to, I don't say it doesn't feel weird to apologize, I just, uh, Sometimes when I, I'm speaking like this and I think of like all the Eminem songs that I've listened to and ha you know, some of the times he just apologizes from like a previous album um, and I'm like, well, you know, why would you apologize if you knew it was crap? And it's like, well, he didn't know. Like, you know, you, it's one of those things in hindsight that you just, you know, would, you would want to prove yourself wrong in a sense of like, you know, maybe something's right. Maybe if you do something one way, it doesn't feel right. It could be. It could be right, but in the back of your mind it's wrong, but you really don't know, so you just throw it out there. I think it's kind of like that mindset. Um, but yeah, guys, that was uh, not a great episode. That was not. So, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll try and do better the next time with that one. But uh, I won't, it, it's Wednesday, uh, recording this, and this is going to be the episode I will be releasing uh, the Wednesdays as well. Uh, if you are still listening... Okay, for starters, if you're still listening and you have not fallen asleep, uh, please eat a mandarin, okay? If it's late at night, like 2 or 3 a.m. and you woke up and you can't go back to sleep, uh, go up and look at the stars. Go outside in your backyard or in your apartment, like in the balcony, and look at the stars. Okay? Physically, go up and do it right now. Turn off this podcast and do that. This podcast is done. Okay, I've been a ramble for like two more minutes. Because like your body, your body is either gonna do it, and just let that night just let you do whatever you need to do. Because you're not gonna fall asleep. You gotta make the best of what you can do right now. Okay, or your body's gonna say, you know what, screw it. I don't want to get up. I'll just walk around. I, you know, or you know, and then you'll feel a little bit more tired. I do have. Uh, probably like a good dozen techniques that I don't think many people actually talk about. I, I tested it myself. Uh, okay, I, I notice a lot of the best episodes I have are just things that um, I either test or or have value from like other readings that I've had. And I don't want I don't want I don't want my podcast to be something that is just me reading a lot of stuff. I want to add my own experiences and my own and my own flair and kind of like my own voice because that's kind of the point. It's like you know. You, it's, I feel like the people who listen to listen to this podcast are similar to me to an extent. Um, probably have similar sleep issues, probably have similar mindsets. Uh, and I, I keep getting more emails. Uh, again, if you have feedback or questions, uh, email me at droolishpodcast at gmail.com. Feedback is welcome as well. I love the appreciation emails. Uh, that honestly make, That honestly makes my day um, to know that I'm, that I'm helping and and I, you know, I know, I know a lot of people aren't going to go out of the way to, um, you know, admit that they like, that they listen to this podcast. Uh, if you have sleeping problems, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And 
you know, I kind of, I, I don't mind that at all. I kind of like the aspect that, you know, there's, there's people, I guess, exist, that exist, and uh, there are probably a lot more that do exist that they need to know, you know, this, this a podcast like this really does help. Um, and I feel like I'm getting close to the quality of episodes that I really want to be at before I go out of my way to, like, reach out to, like, other bloggers, no, other bloggers, I'm not a blogger, reach out to, like, bloggers and sites and be like, hey, you know, the, the site exists, maybe it'll help people. Uh, yeah, because I, I just feel weird talking about promoting a podcast that I'm a part of, and if I feel like I'm not providing that value, then what's the point of telling people to listen to it? That does no one a, a, a service, like a good service. It does everyone, it does everyone a disservice, and it makes me look bad. Uh, it makes you look even worse and feel worse. But that's the that's the terrible part. I don't want that, guys. But of course, if you're again, if you're still listening at this point, then you kind of uh, just. I feel like I don't know. I feel like this is like our uh, our like final moments time, where it's like you know I'm talking to you uh, and kind of wishing you the best and kind of just vetting out kind of my issues or problems that I see with things and. Uh, it's not really meant to be for anything. Hopefully, you don't. Hopefully, you guys don't take too much of what I say to heart. Because uh, really, it's uh, it's just really trying to trying to make ourselves better at the end of the day uh, in the shape of quality sleep. And yeah. So uh, until next next time, folks. Uh, I notice I stuttered a little bit more in this episode, and. I think it's because I did not drink enough water, or maybe it's something I just I need to I need to actually stop that. I know I can stop the stuttering. It's just half the time uh, I prefer to stutter over long-winded conversations, or maybe not. I don't know. I gotta figure that out. I mean, I could just fix I could just fix all the the speech impediments if I really wanted to try, but it's a lot of effort. Plus, I like the way I speak normally. That's that. That's also a key factor. If I'm happy with it, why am I going to change it? <laughs> so, um, so that's that. But until next time, folks. Take care. Dream easy.